As we are working our way through the Gospel of John, we continue to be in John chapter 4. And so if you will open your Bibles. You will remember that this is that famous conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We'll begin this morning with verse 27 and read through verse 42. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you do not say... Or do, do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For the saying holds, or the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, as we are reading about this One who is the Savior of the world, so I pray that uh, You would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might know Him, that we might trust Him, that we might eat of the same spiritual food which satisfied Him and so bring glory and honor to You. We ask in His name. Amen. We only have a 30% chance of rain today according to weather.com. That's a bit unusual given the rainfall that we've had the past few weeks. In July alone, uh, and today is only the 20th, we've had over a foot of rain in the month of July. Now contrast that with the utter lack of rainfall in the western states, particularly in Colorado and Nevada. 81% of the state of California, did I say Colorado? I meant to say California. 81% of the state of California is in extreme drought conditions. It's said to be the worst drought in California since they started keeping records. And residents are being uh, sent to 
water use education classes. In Nevada, Lake Mead, uh, which is the largest man-made reservoir in the United States, um, it is quite low. Uh, Lake Mead was created by damming up uh, canyons that were created by the uh, Colorado River. So the walls of the lake are rock, and in places the uh, lake is extremely deep. In fact, Lake Mead is down 130 feet below what it was in the year 2000. Uh, if you go on the internet and look at pictures of Lake uh, Mead, uh, it's fascinating to see uh, the, the sun-bleached walls, 130 feet um, of just sun-bleached walls where the, the water has receded, uh, where water used to be. In two different locations in our country, we have two vastly different conditions. And I bring this up because I would imagine that we have similarly contrasting conditions within our, within our own congregation. Not physically in terms of rainfall or not no rainfall, but rather in terms of spiritual life. Uh, we have uh, in our congregation those who in their spiritual life uh, they are thriving. Their souls are fertile and growing. Their souls are continually drinking in the living water that Christ offered to the Samaritan woman. And their relationship with Christ is satisfying. They feel as if um, as long as they have Christ, they, that's all that they need. And then I imagine there are others in our congregation who feel like they are on the opposite side of the contrast. They feel like their spiritual life maybe is failing or at least flailing. They feel like they are languishing and barren in their relationship with Christ. And uh, they worship Christ and follow Him because they know that He's the only Lord. He is the only Savior of sinners. But their walk with Him, their personal relationship with Him, is dry and unsatisfying. I want to ask you this morning, what side of the contrast would you place yourself? I'm not asking which side of the contrast that you have been on in the past. I'm asking which side of the contrast are you on this morning? Is your relationship with Christ thriving and fertile? Or is it languishing and barren? This is our third sermon from John chapter 4 where Jesus met this woman at the, um, at the well. You will remember that Jesus had been traveling up from, uh, from Jerusalem. He was headed toward Galilee. And instead of going up, the easier route along the Jordan River Valley. Uh, he is traveling directly um, from Jerusalem straight to Galilee and it's going to take him through Samaria. This route that he is taking is a lot more difficult than going up along the Jordan River. It's a rugged 
um, route to, to travel. Uh, there are a lot of hills and small mountains. It's a very dry area. It was hot. It was a hot and difficult trip. And when he came to this area, he sat down beside the well because he was tired and famished. His disciples had been traveling with him, but they uh, had gone into town to get some food. And so Jesus is here by the well all by himself. And then a woman comes along um, and she came to uh, draw for herself some water. And of course Jesus asked her for a drink. We've uh, looked at this conversation for the last couple of weeks. Well, look at verses 27 through 29. Then, just then, his disciples came back. They marveled at what that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, "What do you seek?" or "Why are you talking with her?" So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, "Come, see a man who's told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?" So as a result of Jesus' discussion with this woman, she's become a believer. And in her excitement, then she's run back into town to tell everyone that she's met the Messiah. Verse 29, um, you notice that she exaggerates just a little bit. We can excuse her exaggeration. She's excited. She's met the Messiah. She goes back into town. Come meet this man who told me everything that I've ever done in my life. And as a result um, uh, of her excitement, we're going to see that she gains a hearing in the town and, um, and many people come to know the Lord and come out to see Him uh, for themselves. But while she's still here talking with uh, Jesus, the disciples arrive back from town with some of the food that they had purchased. And so they begin to question first in their mind, but then they they um, are really curious. And why is Jesus talking to this woman? When she leaves, they encourage him to eat. But listen to his response in verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Well, this is confusing to the disciples. What is this food that uh, they know nothing about? So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought, some, brought him something to eat? And Jesus then responds, verse 30, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Christ's food, His secret food that the disciples know nothing about, was to do God's will, to accomplish um, the Father's work. Christ's total purpose in life was to obey God and to do His work. It consumed Jesus. He devoted all His energy, all His thought to it. His pursuit of God's will his work for God was so satisfying that it made all other food unimportant to him. 
My food, he said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so food is not that important uh, in light of um, what he is here to do. It's not that he didn't need food. Remember uh, earlier in the passage, he was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. Uh, he's fully God and fully man. He needed food. But it, the food was less important than doing God's work. My son Will is in the nursery um, helping my wife this morning so I can talk about him a little more freely. Sometimes I hope that it's not being... being uh, being back there, the audio is not being uh, sent back there. But sometimes when he gets to playing, he plays with such energy that he completely forgets about eating. He'll come in uh, like six o'clock after playing with his friend down the street and grab food and just starts shoving it in his mouth because he has been playing so hard from like ten o'clock in the morning all the way through, hadn't even thought about lunch. And uh, finally, he gets home. He slows down from his playing just enough to where the hunger pains began to to grab him. Um, I remember when my wife and I we had we'd been friends for like six years, and we um, had begun to change our relationship. And it was right before the time that I was going to ask her to marry me. And I had taken her uh, with me to meet not just my family, but the ex- my family's friends. It's, uh, it can be uh, quite an intimidating time to meet uh, the Hollands, the Reeves, the Arringtons, and everybody is is uh, looking over and you know and checking out. Okay, who is Mandy? Giving their approval and stuff like that. And so we'd gone to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and um, for for Thanksgiving. And it was just such a wonderful time together. And then we, uh, Mandy and I climbed in my truck, and I filled up with gas there in Gatlinburg, and we started talking. It didn't occur to me to stop and eat. It didn't occur to me to stop and get gas. And we are coming up upon Savannah, Georgia, the the exit to get off the, the interstate. And the car stops, and I can't figure out what's going on. And we were just talking so much, and finally it dawned on me. I hadn't stopped for gas, <laughs> and so I had to to um, to walk and, and get some some gas uh, for us to to finish the last little bit of our journey. And um, those things, the the gas food, all those things were were basically very unimportant to me as I was drinking in this conversation with Mandy. And so I, I think this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. It's not that he didn't need food, but it was unimportant. His food, he says in verse 34, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And Christ, Christ's obedience to his Father 
was not haphazard. He wasn't just out there blindly being obedient, but he had a very specific purpose. In fact, his whole life revolved around his purpose. His purpose was to seek and to save the lost. Part of his seeking and saving the lost was going to, was going to send him to the cross where he would be crucified for our sins and then resurrected for our justification. But that was his purpose. He gave every hour to that purpose. He gave every minute to that purpose. In fact, uh, look back up at, uh, at verse 4. I made a big deal of this the first week we looked at John chapter 4. Um, chapter 4, verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Remember uh, the, the Greek word dei? In other words, it was necessary. Um, as it reads in the Greek. It was necessary that he pass through Samaria. He could have gone up the Jordan River, but instead he went over the rugged route because it was necessary that he pass through Samaria. It was necessary for him to go and have this divine encounter with this woman. To have this providential meeting with this woman. This meeting had been foreordained since before the creation of the world. And so he went the difficult route. He went out of his way in order that he might meet her. Because his life, his entire life purpose revolved around doing his Father's work to seek and to save the lost. Christ's secret food is our spiritual food. Christ's purpose in living here on earth and going to the cross and dying and then being resurrected and then ascended in, ascending into heaven. His purpose is now our mission. Christ's purpose did not end at the cross. Rather, the cross was a means to a greater end. He purchased our salvation so that we might belong to God. He left the church behind here on earth and gave the church a commission, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. To go to all the nations and make disciples. His commission to the church is now our mission. The church is here on earth, as we said last week, to gather worshipers for God. Look at verse 24. Uh, verse 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, the church is to gather worshipers for God. There's this error uh, that is taught, and I don't know if it's taught as explicitly, but maybe implicitly, that our salvation is for our salvation. That Christ's death on the cross ends with our faith in Christ. 
that Jesus just came to die to give us forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to die so that we would have assurance of salvation, so that we could go to heaven. Our salvation does not end with ourselves. Our salvation is not about uh, only our forgiveness, our assurance, or even our holiness. Our salvation is not about us. Our salvation is about God's glory. And so, our salvation is also about the spread of God's glory. If you've been through my inquirers class, you've heard about um, the spiritual fruit in in Galatians chapter 5. About the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And how we are to have this spiritual fruit. But the spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives is not for our own benefit. How does love benefit us? Of course, there are residual benefits for being a loving person. But love is to benefit someone else. Love is directed, love in our life is directed toward others. If we have the fruit of love, but never allow anyone to eat of the fruit of love that God has produced in us, then what's going to happen? It's going to eventually rot and fall off the tree. Our spiritual fruit is to be given away for others. Even the joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things benefit others. They have benefits for us. But really, it looks beyond us to others. Paul's talking about um, spiritual fruit in Colossians chapter 3, but he's using a different uh, metaphor. Instead of talking about fruit, he's talking about clothing. He says in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Your spiritual food is to do the will of God and to complete the purpose that God has given you. Your spiritual food is to love others. To give yourself away for others and for the kingdom of God. In fact, I would say you cannot be holy if you are not giving yourselves away. Loving others is essential to your holiness. If your salvation is all about you, 
If your Bible reading is all about you, your prayer times are all about you, then you're missing the point. You belong to Jesus Christ. You have been adopted into His family to declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. It's not about you. It's about God and His glory. And then it's about others. And it's about the spread of His kingdom and spread of His gospel. It specifically has relationship to evangelism. Look at verses 38 or 35 through 38. Jesus says, after He's telling them about the food that He has, He says, Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus says, as he's talking to them about the food that he has, doing the will of God, accomplishing God's purpose. He then relates it to evangelism. And the first thing he says is, don't wait four months before you harvest. Apparently that was a saying back then. Well, we've got four months, we've planted, we've got four months before we can harvest. But he's saying, don't wait, because the harvest is already here. In other words, there's an urgency We can't say, well, this is not the best time to do evangelism. Or we must wait for more favorable circumstances. Jesus says, no. The fields are white unto harvest now. There's an urgency. How urgent are you about spreading the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Will the ripe harvest be left to fall off the vine and rot? People are dying. Hell is filling. Souls are in jeopardy. We stand between unbelievers and eternity of condemnation. Many sinners are perishing while many saints are doing nothing. Four months more? No! There have been months enough already. We have got to be urgent about the proclamation of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we truly love others, if we truly love the lost, we can't be silent. We can't be still. We can't wait four months. I want to encourage you with what Jesus says in verse 34. He says it's not our work, but it's God's work. My food is to do the will of Him 
who sent me and to accomplish His work. Verse 35. Do not say... Or do, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are white unto harvest because God has made them white unto harvest. He's the one who is taking the seed and causing it to grow and making it ripe for the harvest. Verse 38. Jesus says, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Christ sends the church into the world to reap. Go therefore into all nations and make disciples. All His authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the church so that we might reap. The harvest is there. God has prepared it. We must go. He sent us to reap. And then for further encouragement, look at verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they asked Him to stay with them, and He stayed there two days. And many more believed because of His Word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. These hard-hearted Samaritans. The first Samaritan that we met here argued with Jesus. The woman, she just continually argued. But Jesus has made this this town white for the harvest. And He reaps a grand harvest. The Samaritans came out and they believed His Word. And I love how it says that they said, we know indeed He is the Savior of the world. I began this sermon talking about uh, asking you about your spiritual life. Are you, is your spiritual life thriving and fertile? Or is it languishing and barren? One of the ways that our souls are are um, are thrive and, and become more fertile is by entering into the Father's work, doing the Father's will, going out and sharing your faith. And I know for myself, when I'm sharing my faith, I am praying earnestly, God give me the words to say. And not only that, I continue praying not for my own needs, but for the needs of that person. It helps me look outside myself and my spiritual life um, thrives. One of the, the best barometers for how I'm doing spiritually is the frequency with which I am uh, sharing my faith. And I think that that is the pattern that Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus has won the victory. 
He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He has sent us out into the world with His authority. Here we go. Let's pray together. Father, I'm reminded of Isaiah and how when his tongue was touched with the coal from the altar, the only response that he had was, Here am I. Send me. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. Here we are. Send us with that glorious gospel. And Father, I pray that You would help us to have a harvest. A strong harvest. Because the fields are white under harvest. And You have given us Your power to reap through this gospel that we um, have trusted in and have come to know our Lord Jesus through. Fill us with Your power. Fill us with zeal for Your kingdom. Fill us with Your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.